what happens when you become a living meme and you know it. People listen to what you say and reliably act on it. Are you in some way responsible for their actions? Is it wrong to exploit them for monetary gain? What can be done about influential figures to keep them in check? The Ethics of Monetizing Influence this week. Philosophers. Philosophers. All right, David. So we've had a couple of discussions over the last period of time that it's, I don't know. It's been a while. Um, it has been a little bit since we talked about this. Um, and recently, though, in other forums, I suppose. Yes. Um, uh, but we were talking about monetizing influence. Right. Essentially. I think that's like the catch-all term. Yeah, when people who know that they have influence use that influence for monetary gain. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think the example that started this all out, if we could just start in, uh-huh. um, has to do with Elon Musk. Yes. Someone who well, our personal feelings about, which differ, by the way, um, are kind of irrelevant, I think, maybe. Um Maybe, but what was your bone to pick originally? Because you were the one who brought this topic up initially. Yeah, so my my original bone to pick with with Elon was how much undue influence he has over things like over. Mm, okay, how much undue influence he has over people's perception of cryptocurrencies that was where it started is i was upset that a an elon musk tweet could be directly correlated with significant swings in the exchange rate of bitcoin yeah amongst other things i mean you don't mean just bitcoin the coin I did right then just mean Bitcoin the coin. Um, but so there was also even before that, there was the hilarious example where he said, I think Tesla's stock price is too high. And then the stock price tanked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That was funny, though, because it was his own company. Sure. And it was actually overvalued. <laughs> um and then he also would arguably authoritatively be able to say whether uh, it more objectively was or wasn't right. overvalued, I guess. Um, yeah. Right. So th that was that was perhaps uh, less meaningful. Sure. But, um, well, yeah, because, I mean, I, I suppose you could expect if, if any CEO of a company came out and said, I think our stock price is too high, the stock price would probably drop. Because mm -hmm. obviously, like, the CEO of a company expressing that he has not no faith, but less faith than the public has in the value of their own company. Fair enough. <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, but with things like Bitcoin, he has no business having influence over, over that. Um, but, like, yeah, but my, my complaint, this isn't so much a complaint about Elon as it is about disciples of Elon. I'm going to call them fair enough. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to use that word. Um, like people 
people put too much stock in what Elon has to say. And so when he makes a claim about Bitcoin, I think the specific thing that happened was this was right after Tesla first started accepting Bitcoin for payments for buying their cars. And then only like a couple of weeks later, he announced that they weren't going to accept it anymore because the environment or something like that. And this episode is not about, it's not going to turn into me refuting the claims about Bitcoin's environmental impacts. Um, but like the, the fact that he could just come out and say, yeah, I, I think Bitcoin bad for the environment. And then the price drops by like 30% or something like that. Right. Um, and I, I don't, I don't think that, so not only does this, okay. My complaint is firstly about people taking that as seriously as they do. But secondly, about the fact that Elon knows that he has this kind of influence and could easily have used that for his own monetary gain. Like being able to, like obviously he, I'm pretty sure Tesla bought a lot of Bitcoin before announcing that they were going to accept it, which raised the price. Now, I understand why why that might have happened, but I, I don't I don't remember if there was a specific incident that happened after he announced that they wouldn't be accepting it anymore. But you know he could he could definitely use that to you know push prices down so that he could further buy Bitcoin and then wait for either the price to rise again naturally or announce, hey, we're actually going to accept it again or whatever. Like the fact that he can have a 30% swing on Bitcoin's valuation with a single tweet is a problem. Yeah. Um, and it's a recognized problem too. Not not just particularly in the Bitcoin space, but um, in more regulated areas of the economy like stock markets and commodities markets, it's illegal to manipulate it's it's illegal in some situations. I'm not a legal expert, by the way, um, <clears throat> as is probably evident at this point. But it, it's been decided that it is wrong to do this for stocks. Like you can't mislead uh, shareholders, for example. Right. Like you you can't because you're popular. Tell everyone it's going to be okay with the implicit purpose of manipulating shareholders to buy more of the stock or you can't lie about what the stock is for example yeah um or what how the company's performing in order to raise the price um it's fraud um in general yeah, fraud insider trading various things like that <clears throat> yeah various things um and i don't think i think most people would agree that that is wrong um i would even agree that that's wrong like, yeah you being dishonest yeah that that's what that is it's being dishonest <clears throat> for but, personal gain yeah but you could also argue, but I think that because initially I disagreed with you, um, I didn't necessarily think that Elon himself was to be held responsible so much more than his disciples. Like that was my main complaint was that you can't help stupid people from doing stupid things. Sure. And we definitely shouldn't try to regulate stupidity because all it takes is the change in definition of what is stupid. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but um, 
And I think the original question we had was, you know, because, you know, is it the fact that he knows how much influence he has and that he can foresee the consequences of his actions? That doesn't seem to make it any, that that seems to make it worse, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's the gut feeling is, you know, uh, just use a different example. You know, you and I are familiar enough with each other that we can probably you know, speak in a way that you and I would understand who's joking, whereas yes. someone else might not, right? Yeah. So, I, knowing this, should not go into public and speak to you that way in an attempt to manipulate someone else. Like, for example, I can't, like, I could jokingly say something to you that in common parlance would be construed as a threat. Mm. Um, to try to goad someone into coming to your defense for no reason, right? Right. And it's because I know that most people won't take it that way. We consider that even worse. Like, when the misunderstanding, when you're knowingly incurring a misunderstanding like that, it, trolling in that way, um, more scrutiny is often applied, mm-hmm. at least, especially when something bad happens, right? Um... That's probably a bad example. I could probably give a better one if I thought about it longer. But knowing what you're doing and still doing it makes it worse than it being an accident. You know, we're not necessarily consequentialists. Um, we have an episode about that, though, I think. Don't we? Uh, consequentialism? Yes, we do. So see that uh, for more on that. But, um, But the other thing about it that I think... I also took issue with the time is that can you other people do the same thing that Elon does, right? Mm-hmm. They'll get on Twitter and talk crap about Bitcoin um, and trying to change the price. Like I think the better example when you talk, look at Elon himself is his effect on Dogecoin prices. Yes. Um, which is not necessarily tied to his business accepting it or not. Right. Um, but he, can just say that that's my favorite. This is, I'm Elon Musk and Dogecoin Dogecoin is the people's coin. And then boom, price shoots up because people start buying it because he mentioned it. Right. Yeah. Um, Other people could say the same and have said the same. Dogecoin is the people's coin. They could say the exact same thing he did, but it wouldn't care. It would be meaningless. Yeah. Right. I don't necessarily want to punish. I don't think it's necessarily right that we punish people because they're influential. Um, and I've always had an odd relationship with the responsibility that is attached to those who are influential because it's not necessarily their fault they're influential. Right. And you can't necessarily choose to cease being influential. Now, on things like Twitter, obviously, it makes more sense, right? Um, where you know you're tweeting out to... You can actually get an, a metric on how many people are probably going to see what you're about to say. Yeah. Um but it's but in a way it's almost the same if you're in private like if you were to just say this in a room full of people you still would carry more weight you know um and i think a better example of of when this becomes a real problem for me is when someone who is widely influential makes a mistake so for example if you you had a very popular talk show host for example you know uh that was really well known or whatever decides to go you know 
to a party where he's speaking to a bunch of people and he starts talking about things that he thinks you know just opinions and he, mm-hmm. and he does all of his work that he can to clarify like these are just my opinions or whatever but i don't like these things um you know i think so and so may have you know he starts to defame what could be construed as defamation mm-hmm. on someone else but it's but it's honest because that's what he believes um but because he's influential and people take it and spread it and say inside him as the source now he might be on the hook for defamation yeah because he's influential mm-hmm. even though you know and i don't want people who are influential to necessarily have their freedom of speech restricted any further because of even though acknowledging that yes their words will carry more weight practically speaking that's why we 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 think about it the way we do you know um and and you're not you know and to be fair you're not saying that he's the main problem it's 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 the disciples that are the problem yes um but i still want to talk a little bit about you know that situation you know how, how do we deal with the situation of influential people because they exist they will always exist they will um human beings kind of break it down that way you know i don't know if we've explicitly discussed the uh, that paper you sent me before talking about you know active conformist active non-conformist passive conformist passive non-conformist yes. i don't know if four we've... quadrants of conformity yeah technically well, no, we haven't discussed it. We haven't discussed it on the show. No. Well, we can discuss it more full-fledged at maybe a later date. Mm-hmm. But long story short, the vast majority of people will not be influential, but will be influenced. Whereas a very small minority of people will be massively influential. And a minor and a little bit larger minority of people are just not going to be easy, as easily influenced, right? So the the realistic consequence that we have is that you're going to have people that um, are influential influencing other people. That's just going to happen. I don't think that we can prevent that from happening. It's just going to happen. Yeah. So, should, should, you know, how do we deal with that situation? Because it can cause problems, right? Um, if match if massively influential people get things wrong. And spread that information. Well, that information can be potentially harmful. Well, not so much the information. Information can't necessarily be harmful, but what people do when misinformed can be harmful. Yes, um, and that's and that's a, another discussion that's kind of going on. You know, and has gone on for a long period of time. Is you know dealing with misinformation. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in, in a society. Um, I've recently started watching. Um, a dramatization of the Chernobyl incident and there's a dramatized scene where the the party leader the the party member who's in the room with all of the engineers and bureaucrats that run the Chernobyl power plant you know he's the designated party member like he's there to uphold the regime Mm -hmm. and he pretty much tells everyone that you know whatever we need whatever we do we need to keep all of these people kept in the city don't let anyone leave and we don't need harmful misinformation spreading and causing a panic, even though the information that they were labeling as misinformation was 100% accurate, you know. Right. So, I mean, how, how do we deal with that necessarily? You know, I don't want this necessarily turn into an episode on just misinformation, but like when it comes to the aspect of like influential people only, you know, 
do we as a society want to place additional responsibilities on those people? Because there's also the whole meme of great power, great responsibility type deal, which doesn't right. normally mean this. Normally what people are talking about is with your vast resources and your ability to do things. Mm -hmm. But influence is also a vehicle by which yes. you can do things. So do we attach in a special yeah, influence is kind of a soft power yeah um i don't know i i think for me i would say that we shouldn't i wouldn't be comfortable creating a separate set of rules for people who are influential I don't want to create a, I wouldn't want to create a double standard in that way. But um, I do think we can relate this to something similar. Um, so say, for example, you and I are at a gun range one day and we're playing with for playing with practicing our 22 shooting you know our precision okay. shooting they were gonna go squirrel hunting well if one of us accidentally shoots over the berm and hits a house we incur damage on the home mm -hmm. now it was wrong to do that and we made a mistake it was an honest mistake but we incurred very little damage because it was a 22 right so a couple of months go by and we get invited to go to an artillery shoot uh somewhere and we decide that we really want to try this out and someone gives us the reins to one of these massive pieces of artillery and we oops, shut over the berm again but this time we blow up someone's level house. somebody's house yeah right we we made the same ish mistake in this similar way but the consequences were vastly different right because of the tool we had yes at our disposal i think that metaphor can be applied you know uh to some degree <clears throat> But not so much for the actions that people take based on the information. Like, you can't tie it to, you know, say I'm preaching some kind of religious message that advocates violence. Um, but I don't have any followers. So, and, and this is actually a terrible example because we already think that that's wrong. You shouldn't yes. advocate for violence ever. So let me just say, I, I, I preach a message where I think lying is perfectly acceptable and people should be able to lie whenever, right? Mm -hmm. We would probably all still agree that that's wrong, but it's we don't place a special restriction on it the same way we do violence, right? Um, but I am a nobody, so no one listens to me. Mm -hmm. But then someone super influential picks that message up and says, you know what, I'm going to spread that. And they start preaching that message. And because of that, fraud rates go up. Um, people begin lying under oath. And, and there's a specific instance where it goes way too far. And some guy lies and defrauds his company. And when he's asked why, he cites that, well, it's because it's part of my religion. Because this guy said so. And I trust him and believe him. And so I'm going to do what he does. Um, so you can very plainly draw the line from cause and effect here um do we we should definitely punish the person who committed fraud but how much of that can come back practically to the person who's preached the message you know you know i i still don't think very much right um 
So I don't know. I, I, like my gut's telling me that we can't really do anything about that. We about the people being influential or if we do, we're just chasing a symptom of a bigger problem. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the bigger problem is education. People need to know how to, well, okay. Now if, if you're talking about something that is philosophical in nature, like whether it's okay to lie under whatever circumstances or all the time or whatever, that's not really, that, that's just an opinion and there's really nothing you can do about that. But when it comes to misinformation about, hard facts then it's a matter of education people need to know where to go to verify information that they hear yeah well although that being said what if the place they go to you're still i think you're still responsible for your choice in where you get your information mm-hmm I think where it becomes kind of tricky is that you don't necessarily get to choose what you believe and how you're convinced. Right. Um, yeah. There's nothing you can do to change what will convince you of something. Yeah. And so that's a problem. <laughs> yes. Uh, and a half. Um, right now though, we kind of, have a way of dealing with this because it already it happens right so we already have a way we deal with it and the way we kind of deal with it right now you know i'm going to use a fairly extreme example but if someone who because they believe in a religion that maybe has a very militaristic rhetoric um like some type of jihad if you will as mm-hmm. an example um, if they commit acts of terrorism or if they commit crimes because of that belief, we don't let them get away with that crime unpunished mm-hmm. just because they sincerely believed in that belief. Right. So to be consistent, it should be the same for anything else. Um, if you go to a source and you can't help but believe it, you act in such a way that causes maybe even personal harm to yourself. Right. Um, maybe not physical harm, but you know, say you, you say, for example, you really believe Warren Buffett, you know, the Oracle of Omaha himself, you know, and, uh, you invest all your money the way he tells you to, because you believe him and then you lose all your money. It's not Warren Buffett's fault. You might feel as though it's his fault because you believed him. You Mm -hmm. might feel betrayed. But he didn't make you do anything. And that sounds kind of like a cop-out, I, I feel. Some people might consider that a cop-out mm-hmm. answer. But I think dealing with the situation that way is much more preferable to an alternative in which you can be held responsible for how anyone interprets anything that you say. Which is right. extreme, but that's, I think, the other logical conclusion you would have to reach if we did assign responsibility to people. I think the best we can do is look at the intentions of the people which is kind of how we do things right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, if I coached you through it, it, like say, for example, I psychologically manipulated you to the point in which you committed a crime or um, self-harmed, right? We, and I intended to do that. The, the fact that I intended to do that and I took active steps in attempting to do that, we would, you know, consider that wrong enough to, yeah, we, we have legal standards for that. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it should be the same. Although it's 
it's really hard to prove uh, yes um intentions which we've gone i think yeah someday we'll tackle that whole question but you know until then <laughs> right but the elon musk example is just one uh, we have a couple of other ones that i think we want to talk about that i think are a little more not broad but interesting areas in which this happens in which people maybe abuse their influence um specifically we we wanted to talk about monetizing influence you know yes um which i think will make more sense when we get into some of these other ones so um the next one is advertising and marketing isn't that just what advertising and marketing is in a large way is yeah you're attempting to influence people for money for to, to in order to sell them things yes um which reminds me, um, this episode is brought to you by NordVPN. No, no it isn't. <laughs> I'm just playing. No, out. it is not. For legal reasons, that was a joke. Um, so, but but yeah, that that's kind of what advertising and marketing is. Um, especially sponsored advertisement. Um, so when you see... Right, because I mean... I think... Yeah. You, you can make the case that all all advertising is trying to influence people for your own monetary gain but people know what an advertisement is like i'm talking about like your conventional advertising like you see a a a billboard or something on television like between segments of the actual show you're watching you know you know that it's just some faceless person you're never going to see probably um who has paid to take up a little bit of the of airtime or uh, wall space or whatever to try to get you to give them your money. We we even used to explicitly say this. Um, we're going to take a commercial break. Yes. Yeah. Commercial advertising. Yeah. yeah. Like everyone used to say it explicitly so that there was no doubt that that's what was going to happen. We, we don't I think anymore say that on TV. I don't watch TV. But, I have no idea. Um, um, but, but anyway, yeah. yeah. But yes, but now... Now that they're, now that video sharing platforms exist like YouTube, um, people, so there's an interesting phenomenon where if you watch enough videos from the same person a lot, you sort of start to feel like you know that person. Parasocial relationships. Yes. That's the name for that. Right. Um, so, in this way, you will start to trust that person more. Well, okay, depends on why you were watching their videos. Sure. If you're watching their videos because you like them, then you'll probably start trusting them more. Um, and then, yes, and th- they do sponsored ad segments. And even even though they will they will explicitly say up front, this video is sponsored by whatever, right? And then start talking about the thing. So you know that they've been paid to say what they're going to say. Right. They're still going to, even though they're probably just reading the advertising script that the company gave them to read and maybe paraphrasing it a little bit with their own mannerisms, um, it feels like they are recommending something to you as a friend. Yeah, that's definitely the draw and why sponsored advertisement like that works. I mean, to, to video sharing platforms credit, especially a platform like YouTube, traditional ads 
are very obvious. It breaks the video and the even scroller turns yellow and it says this ad will conclude and you can skip this ad in this many seconds or add over like it was way more obvious that this is an advertisement and it yeah. kind of broke that out. It broke breaks you out of the video and then yeah, it breaks the continuity just like a television advertisement. Right. But sponsored advertisements specifically are not that. they're baked into the video. Right. Um which are weirdly very akin to the way sponsored advertisements have been done in television before. And even radio. Yes. Because um, I've actually... Still listen to radio. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes. Uh, okay. This doesn't have... Okay. I don't need to talk about my radio listening habits on this show. But um, I, I think... So I have before gotten very angry... At hearing a radio ad that was read by the DJ on this radio station. And so again, it's like, okay, this is a DJ that I that I hear on this radio station a lot. I feel like on radio it's a little different. I don't really feel like I know that person, but I'm familiar with that person. And I agree with a lot of what they have to say between the songs or whatever. Maybe they have some other show on, the, on there that doesn't have to do with the music that's playing or whatever. Um, and he's talking about this thing. And, and I happen to know that this thing that he is talking about is a scam. Oof. Yeah. Um, like, not not just, I don't like that thing and I feel like it's a scam. I actually knew it was a scam. Huh. Um, and I was, I was so much angrier about that because the DJ read the advertisement as opposed to just an obvious... It was, obviously, the DJ reading it was also a recording, but it's harder to tell because it, it's the same guy's voice that you were just listening to live telling you about what music he was putting on next. Right. Um, and so again, yeah, it sounds like this person that you kind of sort of know recommending that you go do this thing. Yeah. Although in that case, I would feel like you're more justified because a, it's a scam and B you would feel that way. Even if you didn't trust that person, because the person is spreading something, you know, to be a scam. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's actually worse that you are familiar with this person and had maybe a higher opinion of them previously. You know, that makes it worse. Um, but, you know, but I would agree, you know, to some... But I'm also the kind of person that I watch a lot of YouTube. And a lot of the YouTube channels I watch, they do sponsored ad reads. Yeah, it happens. So much so that some of the my favorite YouTube channels make jokes out of their ad reads to such a degree that it's hilarious. Yes. Um, and it's even become a meme, the ad read, which arguably is probably what the advertiser wanted in the first place because memes are excellent vehicles for advertisers to advertisements to be in. Yeah. But I don't tend to have an issue with it, but I also think of it as I'm glad. I, I, I remember when one of the YouTube channels I watched that was relatively small and I started watching it. I remember when he read his first ad. I was actually happy. Not because I cared about what the thing he was selling. It was some VPN, of course. Um, but I was happy because I know he was getting paid to do what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And I appreciated it. That, that he was able to make money doing that and he was going to likely continue to be able to make content because of that and i was perfectly happy to skip that ad by hitting the scroller which i don't care about you know mm -hmm. um and i've only ever began using or looked into a service once because of a sponsored ad read and it wasn't even because of who said it because the particular video that i watched this is all anecdotal obviously but 
just be to be frank about it um it's a channel that i do not watch regularly that i don't particularly care for but the ad read that they had when they described what the service did and what it was for i was like i actually really like that idea and that's something that i actually think is useful and mm -hmm. then upon further investigation really liked the product and it wasn't i feel granted i could be totally drinking the kool-aid here and mm -hmm. not be aware of it but i use this thing regularly now mm -hmm. and have even looked into alternatives not because i particularly because i wanted to make sure there wasn't something better than this that i could be using but like yeah and i'm not gonna tell you what it is right now because i don't want to accidentally <laughs> sponsor an ad in case that this isn't something for everyone else you know um for me in that case it was like oh i just found out about something that i really would like to use yes you know that's different but yeah that is the good side of advertising is that it helps you find out about things that you might actually want right and i think that's the most honest take on advertisement is right it's not just like you shilling your own stuff as the company who's advertising um yeah yeah the most honest take is I am trying to show people something that they might be interested in. Right. And I've seen similar things before, which are advertisements, but they're not paid. And I think that's why if you ever are listening to someone else and they tell you about a product or service and you know, they're not getting paid. It's a much more honest endorsement. Like, you, right. It's a recommendation at that point. It's not advertising. Right. Absolutely. Um, Like we watch a YouTube channel that does that from time to time mm -hmm. where they'll give their, the person will give their opinion and state, I'm not being paid to give this, but I do think, and I have just proven or shown why I think this thing is better. And I take that a lot more honestly than I would the particular product he was reviewing telling me why I should buy their product, right? Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I think in a nutshell, advertisements and marketing are kind of what we were talking about before, except... It's kind of surprising how much of the economy is driven by marketing. Like just just how big that sector of the economy is. Yes. Um That's another tangent I don't want to go down right now, uh which is the question of, you know, if marketing or an advertisement were for some reason made illegal tomorrow, how would that affect the economy? That's be an interesting hypothetical. It would be interesting. Um tabled though. Um Yes. But uh, before we move on yeah i didn't want to move i was about to ask you i was like i feel like we didn't end on the topic we were on before but i hijacked. well I, I have i have a tangent real quick that's fine yeah this will be a, a brief tangent so um there's an there's an ever engaging arms race of advertisers versus people who don't want to see ads yes um this has been happening th i think the real arms race began in the early days of the web when page scripting became a thing and you could have pop-up ads and so then this this gave rise to the pop-up blocker which is now just a standard feature in every web browser and a funny consequence of that is that now that every web browser comes with a pop-up blocker nobody does pop-ups anymore because they know they will just be blocked yep um and then this evolved so yeah so then when pop-up blockers became well used People stopped doing that and started doing in-page advertising more. But then people got tired of that. And so then came ad block and other things like that. Um, that would that would block 
that would remove ads from the page so you didn't have to see them. So now, and, and, and these ad blockers now also work on uh, video sharing sites like YouTube so they can get rid of the, the site built-in ad segments. Um, but now the thing that people are finding it difficult to escape is sponsor segments because it's actually part of the video. It's not just a request that you can block with software. So I am going to make a, a quick recommendation. My favorite new thing is a like sort of the, the next step in the arms race sponsor block, which is a real thing that exists. Oh, um, it's, it's very interesting. It's crowdsourced. Hmm. So if you have this browser extension installed and you come across a video that has an ad segment in it that did not automatically skip, you can say, ah, this is an ad segment. Start the segment here. Watch through the thing or find the end of it. Stop the segment here. And when you're done watching the video, you upload that off to their server and say, that's an ad segment. And you can flag it for, you can even flag it for different types of segments. So there's, there's the just regular old sponsored ad segment. And you can also flag segments that are like self-promotion, like, or like channel interaction reminders, like, don't forget to subscribe. <laughs> yeah. You can flag all of those and send those off and categorize them. And then the users of the extension can choose which ones they want to skip. That's great. It's actually great. A lot of people use it. It has a very interesting, uh, like feedback system, like to get you to want to submit more segments. It keeps stats. Of it, keep, it keeps stats for you of, like, it tallies up how much time you have skipped uh, from from segments that, that you've skipped while watching. So I can see how many hours of my life I have saved by using this thing. It's pretty great. But I can also see how much time other people have saved from segments that I flagged. That's really cool. Yes. I like that. So anyway, Sponsor Block is what it's called. So that's my recommendation for today. Yep. We are not sponsored by Sponsor Block. We are not sponsored by Sponsor Block. <laughs> Which would be really funny if it Sponsor would, would Block made their own sponsored <laughs> ad reads. <laughs> you imagine being a content creator. Like, imagine that we ran sponsors. Like, like we, we don't run sponsor segments, but we started to. And the only sponsor segment we will ever run is Sponsor, sponsor Block. <laughs> that would be pretty funny. We should reach out and see if we can make a deal with Sponsor Block. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, But even if... Okay, and I think this brings you to maybe the next potential step in the arms race after things like sponsor blog, which is a lot harder to catch, which is something you sent me this week or last week. Yes. I'm going to let you explain what you sent me and how it's a problem, and it's different than just a normal sponsor read. Yeah, yeah, there's no yeah, there's no filtering for this. Um, well, okay, so... The whole... Go ahead. Anyway... <laughs> Um, there's no automated filtering of this. Fair enough. So, yeah, so I came across, um, a video by a guy. Oh, what's his name? Tom Nicholas. Was that his name? That sounds about right. Um, which is his channel name as well. That's also his channel name. If you want to go look him up, he has a bunch of other stuff as well, which is pretty interesting. Um, so he did a video about another channel, a very well-known YouTube channel called Veritasium which is a science education channel or like a science communication channel. Um, and so he was talking about a video that Veritasium did about self-driving cars. Mm -hmm. Now, 
and so the, the whole video was about how even though Derek, the host of the channel, declared up front, or mostly up front, uh, that the video was sponsored by a particular company that is a self-driving taxi service. Mm. Um, even though he, he stated that up front, the video was still done in his normal style that he uses when he just explains facts about science. Right. Um, and, and he went on to make like a whole case about how self-driving car tech is ready now and you should want to replace all drivers with self self-driving cars right now for everybody's safety. Right. Essentially watch the whole video for the, for the whole thing. It's like an hour long, but it's worth it. It, it is worth it as an excellent dissection. Also the comments I would refer, I normally don't refer people to comments of YouTube videos because I don't like encouraging self-harm, but um, yeah, this case though, there's interesting exchanges that go beyond the video in the comment section that made it even more interesting for mm. me to have consumed. I don't know if you went that far, but I did not happen to read the comments on that video. Well, just quick sidebar on that uh -huh. before we go on to the problem with this. Veritasium commented about it. Ooh. And Tom responded, and they go back and forth over the scripts of their videos to argue their points and expand and include more sources. It's It, it continued on after the video. That's interesting. Yeah, that's why it was All really All right, I had to go back now. Yeah, you must go back. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so the problem with that. Um, right, yeah. So, so the, the deal... Or rather, Tom's complaint about this was that Derek has done a great deal with the channel over the course of several years doing honest and informative scientific uh, communication, or science communication, I should say, um, and has, has gotten a well-earned reputation of being a trustworthy source of information about science on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And then he does this sponsored video where he makes it seem like he's just communicating facts, but there are very clear biases involved beyond just the, like the surface level biases you can assume from anything that is, that you know is sponsored. Right. Yeah. That's like, there are, there are questions that Derek in his usual style should have gone into and should have it, like brought up some criticism against this particular company perhaps and also just the technology that he didn't because it was sponsored yeah and it, and just before and, we... and he he characterizes it perhaps maybe a little bit sensationally as propaganda perhaps maybe but it kind of was it kind of was yeah at least i think that his arguments as to it deserving the definition, deserving the label of propaganda was well made. Um, yes. Yeah. So, like I said, it's an hour long thing. We're only here for an hour, so we're not going to go through the whole thing. No, we're not. Um, and the day we start tearing down other people's content and dissecting it on our show is the day no. I would encourage you to stop listening. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, we're done. Um, yeah, but but he does bring up a good point, and I think there's two things to acknowledge here um, about bias. Um, I believe, just like anything else, there is a more honest form of bias and a more dishonest form of bias, right? And now that you said it, one of the things that I do think is interesting is that I actually 
would be more willing to believe that Derek actually believes the things that he's saying. And that's not so much a problem to, to say, it is not a problem to both state facts and say what you think and believe yes. and would advocate for. But the problem is when you do both of those things and then also don't talk about other facts that aren't supportive of the thing towards which you are biased. Right. And that's the problem. Um, especially when you've built a reputation around being honest and acknowledging pros and cons, regardless of how you feel about a particular subject. Mm -hmm. Derek, in addition to being a science communicator is also a bit of a futurist, I would say. Um, yes. And I would, I'm not trying to be unfair, but I would say techno optimistic. I think most futurists are techno optimists. Yeah, I, I just but to be specific enough in case that there is the techno pessimistic futurist out there for some reason, um, not to lop them in. Um, but it's still a problem, I think, even if he hadn't been paid. I the, I think that's there's just two problems. The, there's the being paid part, and then there's just intentionally leaving out or miss and in some cases he was claimed to have misrepresented facts mm. um as well so that's just being dishonest as well um and it brings up another interesting point i think about trust as well um as a skeptic seeing that trust in conventional institutions at an all-time low makes me happy um because they should be you shouldn't trust anyone just because you need to have reasons as to why you trust people and also the i think we should all be aware of our responsibility to verify our sources from time to time or at least be aware that we should be held responsible for our actions regardless of the honesty of the people we believe and trust. I know that's really hard to hold as a standard, but I think that it's better to hold that standard as we stated earlier in the episode. Um, and I've had issues with this too, with my infamous rival, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like he, he does the same thing. Like, <laughs> um, I do not like him for this reason. Um, in addition to just his, you know, fame chasing, I think, but, it is deeply concerning, though, um, because I, I, while I was not a big consumer of Veritasium, I did appreciate the work that he did. And mm -hmm. there are similar people to him that I do watch that I know could likely have the same set about them that I never acknowledged before because, you know... You why, like them. Well, I like them, A, and B, I never felt as though... It, it slipped my radar. It's one... I can catch a sponsored read. That's not hard. Yeah. But when it's so close to the source material... Like... Like, the two ways Veritasium could have made that video. One, they did. They made it as... A, let's just call it propaganda. For sure. now. There's the propagandist way to make it. And then there's the honest way to make it. The honest way to make it... Like, the difference between the two... They, they will still overlap about 80%. Yeah. And so it's really hard to keep your guard up that long in like a 30 minute long video 
you know, consuming information. It's hard to keep your to be on. Well, I think that in the long. case of this Veritasium one, it was only ten minutes, but still, still though, it it could have easily been thirty. Sure, you know, and in some cases, I would think that that's even more nefarious. If I were to drop a two-hour-long lecture about some subject, and and there's a one-minute segment where I bend the truth ever so slightly and come back to the truth, that's more nefarious because it's hard to be that it's it's hard to yes. maintain that level of skepticism because in some ways be, because i think this also okay here here's something that we didn't have on the list that i'd like to go into that's sort of related to this um and you can you can pull this back on track if we're gonna get away from what you wanted to say too quickly sure um late night comedy news shows let me table that for just okay. a second because i had a, <laughs> a point that i was going to get okay, to and we can go right into that but what i was going to say is acknowledging that and we did a video on this not too long ago um narratives right Mm -hmm. we talked about narratives and why they're so powerful for human communication but one thing about narratives that we are very ingrained to do especially in metaphorical or like parables type type narratives most of them require a suspension of your disbelief in order to consume efficiently like you just take things for granted anyway. So when you look at science communicators, which use a narrative structure a lot of the time to communicate valuable information, you're in a weakened state to consume factual information and be skeptical because you're having to suspend your disbelief for the sake of the narrative. Mm-hmm. It's it's a weird vulnerability uh, to watch someone tell a story about something and you had to suspend your disbelief about some things in order for the narrative to be effective and for you to accept the narrative as a just a chain of to accept the chain of information that's coming towards yeah. you but the problem is because you're suspending disbelief you're suspending disbelief <laughs> you're suspending your disbelief so if one of the links in that chain happens to be something that you would have normally skeptically caught yes you either cannot fully focus on the material and absorb it efficiently and be skeptical or you risk catching bad information and just taking it in efficiently. Yes. You know? And I think that's why the Veritasium example was so troubling to me is that I don't know that there's a better way to do science communication otherwise. Yeah. So it's almost like Peer review, this is why peer review is important. Yes. Because peer reviewers like Tom Nicholas in this case. Tom is his name? Yes, Tom Nicholas. He he watched it skeptically, apparently. Like, he would have had to have to caught the things that he, that he did. Or maybe somebody else pointed it out to him later, but, but somebody someone, had to watch it skeptically, yeah. And that person probably did not take it in as fully as the vast majority of other people did because right, or maybe Tom had already seen some, some stats about self-driving cars that just seemed to contradict what, uh, what Derek was saying in his video. And he's like, well, well, hold on a minute. Something is, yeah. The, the, the filter was a lot thicker. Or, actually, or perhaps the thing was the fact that uh, another thing he points out, like the, so the video, Tom's video was chiefly about Veritasium, but also about some other channels that did videos from uh, advertising the same company at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's what put his, his alarms up it's like hmm a whole bunch of channels just started talking about the same thing and it happens to be all sponsored by the same company something's up here well and one of the videos that he pointed out that actually showed 
them all on a call with the people from that company right being given the advertising material to say right yeah. not not being like told. the talking points yeah yeah they weren't telling them you have to mention this it was here's some knowledge about our company yeah and we've done this research for you yeah yeah, yeah exactly so I, I guess the point i'm trying to get at is that maybe every bit of information if you wanted to be very safe about it give everything a second second look over or at the very, very least, always look for peer reviews that are skeptical about something, even if you're biased towards it, even if you like it and you think that it's right and you think that it was factual. And, and it's really easy to do this. The algorithms on search engines make this very, very easy. Why thing is bad. Mm -hmm. and, and and I've done that with you. Um, we were having a discussion about something that I'm not going to go into yet on yeah, this point. it's completely off topic, but yeah. Yeah, but I literally just Googled why this is bad. Because I disagree, I felt as though I disagreed, but I didn't know why. But I knew that there were people out there that could probably tell me why I was right, um, <laughs> and you were wrong. But but even though welcome to the internet. Anyway. But, but even though they may be lying to me, it's better for me to temporarily adopt some incorrect information, it, just for the purposes of having a discussion with you mm -hmm. and offering those points up to see when we argue and compare notes. If I say, well, what about this thing? And you look at it and go. Mm, this is actually wrong and you can tell me why and it's convincing because right you can it's back different it because facts. you're actually trying to pursue an honest discussion about the thing to get to the bottom of whether it's good or bad and not because you're trying to uh satisfy your confirmation bias and just say ah, oh, i guess i was right after all closed discussion exactly yeah so there's nothing wrong with almost pursuing the same thing as someone trying to you know pump up their confirmation bias but you have to follow it up with now i need to go find someone who disagrees with me and, and actually, actually talk about it in the framework of having an honest conversation. Yes. Like, it, it, that is super valuable. So that's all I had to say. But speaking of narratives in that fashion, late night comedy news shows. Yes. Uh, so this is, uh, this, this is a little bit of a tangent because it's not exactly on the topic of monetizing influence. Obviously, these people who do these shows make money. But I feel like most of them are not manipulating people for the specific purpose of making money. Right. But um, it... The, the whole thing about about the sponsored ad segments and this Veritasium video is, is also very similar to opinions I've had a long time about these late night comedy news shows that my problem with them, I have no problem with comedy. People need to laugh. That's fine. Mm -hmm. I have no problem with news shows, like the concept of news shows. Uh, people need to, to hear about things. And I don't necessarily have a problem of combining the two either. Um, like, because sometimes reality is funnier than fiction. Yeah. Um, we don't need to go into that too much, but the, the, the point is that a lot of, a lot of these shows, whether they mean to or not, they, they will contain misinformation or stretched truths or bent truths, um, that may or may not suit a particular narrative maybe they maybe they're talking about a politician that they don't like and so then you know they they might say something that may just be flatly untrue about that person but it's part of a joke so they don't they don't give you time to dwell on that that haha okay moving on to the next thing i'm trying to make you laugh again and the target i think this is my problem the fact that these are specifically late night comedy news shows they are targeted to people who have probably just gotten home from work they want to sit down and relax with a beer, maybe, and have a laugh at what's going on in the world. 
and their BS detectors are turned off. Yeah, well, and more specifically, these people have likely watched news shows right before this that is just news. Sure. Which, tabling that whole discussion on... That's just a completely different thing. A different thing. But you watch the real news, and it's also likely that if you watch these late-night comedian news shows, you probably also watch news shows that tend to correlate. Mm-hmm. If you're going to turn them on, you probably agree to some, you know, you, you like it enough to agree. Right. With otherwise, yeah if, yeah. if you watch news from a place that spins it one way and then you go watch this comedy news show that spins it another way, you're going to be slapped with cognitive dissonance. And that's not what you want when you're trying to relax at the end of the day. Yeah. It's more a reinforcement of what you've already heard that is factual. But because the spun truths of which, and hear me out, it's acceptable to do this in comedy. We, we all... Sure, yeah. I, I also, I don't even have a problem with stretching the truth in comedy. But when it's also framed as a new show as well, right, it's a that's hard the thing, line to like, walk. Yeah, but the, the format of these shows also feels a lot like a real news program. Like somebody wearing a suit, usually, is sitting behind a desk. Like, they look like a news anchor. Yeah. They're just funnier than a news anchor, usually. Because they're usually a comedian first. And yes. hear me out, news anchors are no different than most other people who know how to read scripts. Change my mind. Sure. It used to be that the news anchors were journalists first that also just happened to read their findings as well. They're not. But that's a different subject for a different time. Sorry, yes. I'm getting peeved about something else now. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, like that's the whole thing is like you are, you are giving this material that has real world implications by people's political beliefs at a time to, to an audience who you are expecting to have their BS detectors turned off. And that's not okay. Right. Because we, and even if it wasn't the late night segment deal, because a lot of these are more popular online than they are on television. When people want to laugh, their BS detectors are turned off. Because you have to, it's, it's similar and maybe even Because more. if I'm concentrating trying to figure out what thing that you're f- trying to fool me about, I'm not having a good time. Yeah. So I'm here to have this? a good time. So, yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of, though, the political aspect of that, because these are also typically politically motivated more so than anything else, yes. these comedy news shows. Isn't that funny, how, how they tend to focus on politics a lot more? Because I guess news focuses on politics. Hmm, yes. It's weird. Anyway, um, so politicians are literally just paid influential people. Um, that get paid to have influence and uh, also yes. have to have money to be influential, it seems, with the correlation between the amount of money spent on mm-hmm. election advertisements to get elected in the first place, at least in democracies, you know, which is just goes to show that dictatorships are a lot less corrupt, at least when it comes to elections. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was, that was a joke. Um, uh, but one of the hotly debated topics when it comes to politicians and money, which goes on forever is campaign contributions are a good example Mm -hmm. so there's a hot debate over every four years it seems anyway there's a hot debate over um we got to get the money out of politics yeah um why do we feel that way and there's a pretty obvious reason we feel that way it's because people it's supposed to be fair um elections it's supposed to capture the will of the people Yes. And yeah, and we rightly don't like it that the person who ends up winning almost all of the time is the one who spent more money on their campaign. Right. We don't like that. No. Even though it's our fault, if you were to collectivize the people anyway, mm-hmm. it's your fault that you don't like this. That you are so susceptible to advertising <laughs> that this works. Yeah. You could fix it, by the way. <laughs> 
but we also don't want to be too bothered about knowing about politics. We would just like to want the things we want and for the government to give us the things that we want in that yeah. case. But um, when it comes to monetizing influence in that way, uh, it's a, it's real stinky because the, the, the ideal version, at least in the United States, that we're taught in civics class is that representative democracies... Um, the goal of the representative is to know what their constituents, how they feel about every subject under the sun. And they should ideally be like the, the average citizen in that area. Yeah. Ideally they're normal people. Yes. At least that's how it's sold. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many normal people actually get elected in office, but that's how it's sold. The problem is that the skill set it seems to do politics and be a politician are not the same common it's not a common skill set it seems right additionally like you said these well you didn't say this necessarily but we have people that represent very large numbers of people that it's really hard to get an average mm -hmm. across also it's not so much that you have to represent the average of the people it's the average of the people who voted constrained by the you just need to be closer than the other one person likely that's getting elected, mm -hmm. uh, which makes it even more complicated. But most politicians, if you were to look at their salaries, because it's all public, you know, they're public servants. They all of their information about how much they officially get paid is public, but very, very few of them actually hold assets that you could justify with their pay. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's not a secret. We, we all know that most politicians are, they make way more money than they're paid. And we just don't know where it's coming from. And they, it's been given terms like dark money, you know, like, sure. It's, you know, um, but lobbying is a legal way to do this. Like lobbying and political action committees, mm -hmm. PACs, um, and then advocacy groups. Yep, special interest groups. Special interest groups. All of these things attempt to take money, convert to influence, to yes. achieve goal, which sometimes is more money. And ergo, it's a cycle that feeds itself. Um, and you and I are no strangers to this. I don't, I'm pretty sure, you know, I'm not going to try to dox you here, but I give money to... I donate money to things that I want to see happen. Yes. I'll be really honest. I donate to the Firearms Policy Coalition because I want to see my Second Amendment rights preserved. Sure. I donate to the Electronic Frontier Foundation because I care about privacy and security on the internet. Right. So we're no different in that way. And I'm I'm perfectly comfortable being honest about that. And I would feel that, I, I would hope that the Firearms Policy Coalition is honest about the money that they get. Yeah, to, to pursue the things that they want. And in a way, and there's an argument that's been made in the past that money is speech. That's that's the argument. That's yes. literally, the to encapsulate the whole thing that we've talked about today, is money speech or not? You know, can, yeah. you know, that, that, or I guess that's the opposite end of what we're talking about. Uh -huh. Instead of monetizing influence, is influence money. Yes. And I think it's obvious that it is in some degree. I'm just... Yeah. But it's acknowledging a very uncomfortable fact that some of us can speak louder than others 
for no other reason than the size of our pocketbooks. Right. And because half of the people have less money than the other half of people, if you were to put them on a strata of how much money they have, mm-hmm. which is just an obvious statistical fact, the half of people that have less money are really PO'd about that. Yes. Which, arguably, they should be. Yes. I think that I think the thing that people get hung like yeah, there's the whole money is money is speech thing, and of course that's just obviously money is not literally speech, but you should be free to like. Is it really your money if you can't spend it how you want? Right. So like people want to be able to spend their money how they want. So in that way, we have to we have to say okay, well you're you're free to do that. But I think yeah, the the problem is that when it comes to government specifically, like government is determining like the things that we are going to actually enforce people to do in their lives and uh, up up to and including enforce at the barrel of a gun. Right. Like this is very important and nobody wants nobody wants somebody with a lot of money to start bullying people with force. Yeah. Like why do I have to do what you tell me? Oh, well because I have more money than you. Like nobody wants that. No. Um, But even then, I would say that the solution to that problem is the same as the solution to the problem we've stated before. It's not about the money. It's about the people who will vote because advertisements are shoved in front of their face. Mm -hmm. And while I agree, you know, as a pragmatist, I understand that we can't just make everybody be skeptical and objective and even the most skeptical and objective people like me still fall subject and prey to bias and yeah lapses in judgment nobody is free from bias exactly um but ultimately both you know all the way back to the beginning of the episode with elon musk being a problem it's not that he's the problem it's that he's an exploiting a uh, a hack in humanity, mm-hmm. which is, for lack of a better term, sheeple. People who will just listen to what someone else says and credulity. Credulity is, the, is yes. the nice word for that. That's the nice word. Sorry. I'm, uh, uh, yeah. Um, it's But same thing with politics. It's credulity. If people are going to vote for someone because they watched an ad by, the, by that person bad-mouthing the other person mm-hmm. and not looking into what they actually want and who's going to at least promise even if they don't deliver but at least promise to do the things that they that's actually aligned in their interest then you know you voted for this you know we got around the system of people having because before democracy people having more wealth being able to tell you what to do was the norm. That's kind of how feudalism worked. Yes. Sorry, I own more things than you. And because I can give those things to other people that will bring the sword, ergo, you listen to me. Although there were deeper problems with that in feudalism. Sure. Because who owned more stuff basically had to do with people that you knew. Like, if you were buds with the king, then you got to be a duke and owned a bunch of stuff. But that's because the king had the stuff. Because God God said so. Well, usually. Bigger sword diplomacy, but... True. Yeah, it goes back all the way. Well, bigger army diplomacy, really, but... Yes. Um, 
But still, democracy was supposed to solve that directly by saying, well, we're all going to be treated equally, as in we all get one vote. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Two, like, if there were only three people in the population, and two of them were in squalor, and one person was extremely wealthy, well, the two people in squalor... Can just vote to take his money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's not that simple, but if everything were in a perfect system where it was all just magically enforced, then yes. In a perfectly legalistic culture. Yes. That is how it would work. In Rome, it might work that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so I guess we're left on the cliffhanger of the problem is credulity. Mm-hmm. But is that a is that a problem that we can solve, or is do we need to just accept a more pragmatic approach and attempt to treat the symptoms instead? Like, is the problem of credulity actually solvable? And if it is, do you really want to solve it? What is the what is the lost cost? You know, because you could potentially make the argument that credulity is what has allowed human beings like incredulity i should say is what allowed human beings to be directed by a single person who is able to make decisions quickly like a couple weeks ago i was telling you about you know in poland there is a there's a political party in the democracy of poland that actually wants to reinstate a monarch Mm -hmm. because they want to reinstate a monarch to keep socialism and communism away yeah they want a capitalist monarch which is the strangest thing i'd ever heard but the reason they want that is because they understand that they will lose these elections eventually. And that, and it's the same argument that other people have made. It's that... Yeah, we vote to win forever, basically. We vote to win forever. Yeah, because we can right now, technically, if they win, you know. Yeah, if they win. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's no secret that when you look at, in any bureaucratic system, when you look at a problem getting solved, the best way to solve the problem is to appoint someone whose job it is to solve the problem and then give them the authority to go solve the problem, and including manpower, resources, whatever. You don't have democratically operated companies, for example, even though corporations technically do vote for things. It's never operated that way. You appoint a CEO. That it's their job to be the chief executive. Yeah. Yes. You make the decisions. And so regardless of how we arrive at who that person is, the fact remains that we've always kind of funneled power to one person or authority to one person that can then delegate because that just seems to be the best way that humans can coordinate things right now. And that's, a, I think just acknowledging pragmatically, like just the human nature of the situation, you know, if, there's the big joke about camels must have been designed by committee because they look strange and don't make a lot of sense. But mm-hmm. like, you know, most designs by committee are terrible when everyone can vote on everything because you all have competing, you know, ideas. Ideas. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes you need a coherent single idea to actually implement something that works. So I don't know. I, I really don't. Um, I don't know that incredulity is something that we can solve. And even if we could, I don't know what that would look like. Like, how could we solve that in a way in which we could still get things done? You know, if we did. 
you know. And I'm perfectly happy to just leave it there. Sure. Because it's an interesting thing to think about. Let us know if you have an idea <laughs> of how to make people less credulous. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Philosophers. Philosophers. If you like the music in this episode, please check out Jippy on Bandcamp at jippy.bandcamp.com. Philosophers is supported by viewers like you. If there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, or a topic you'd like to see revisited in the future, please let us know by contacting us using the methods in the description, or in the comments below. Thank you for listening.